Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. There's two things that you need to know before I start to tell the story. One is that I am a quilter. The second thing I need you to know is that Leonard Skinner is a southern rock band. Go out, bribe some people to be your friend for the night, and come to the show. It was 1983, and like a lot of kids growing up, I had dreams of being a musician, maybe even a rock star. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hinkin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week on the podcast, we continue our Best of the Stoop series as we head into our 15th year and prepare to return to live shows. Thank you, Jesus. We're revisiting (laughs) some of our most favorite stories. And this week, we bring you three true personal tales about rock and roll, including one that involves quilting. Yeah, so I'm just going to let you all muse on that while I thank Park School, an independent (laughs) co-ed progressive pre-K through grade 12 school located just minutes from Baltimore. Okay, so now we're going to solve your the mystery of how quilting and rock and roll are related. Uh, This first storyteller is a master quilter. She teaches quilting classes. She um, has had her work shown in museums. She has a lot of followers on YouTube um, and is really just, just like I said, a quilting, um, a quilting, what do you call it? A quilting mega influencer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A star of the quilting world. And her name is Mimi Dietrich. So this story, oh my God, I feel like this was one of the times I was close to peeing my pants on stage. So I'm not going to say anything else except you might want to go to the bathroom before you listen to this. There's two things that you need to know before I start to tell the story. One is that I am a quilter. And most people who think about quilters think of us as little old, you know, grandmothers who sit around and stitch. The second thing I need you to know is that Leonard Skinner is a southern rock band. I've always wanted to meet a rock star. Two months ago, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, there was a huge gathering of quilters. Probably about 5,000 quilters go to Hershey, Pennsylvania at the end of July. Last year when we were there, the band that played a big concert was the Jonas Brothers. (laughs) This year, it was Kid Rock and Leonard Skinner. So, all right, all right. I didn't know Freebird before this whole thing happened. (laughs) So, the night of the big concert, four of us went out to dinner, and we were sitting there in front of the hotel waiting for everybody to kind of get together, and these two gigantic buses came through the um, the park, parking lot of the hotel, Leonard Skinner. 
They had a police escort, and they were on the way to the concert. We went to dinner. We had a great time. We had a wonderful time. We came back about two and a half hours later, and two of my friends decided that they were going to go up to the room in the hotel. And myself and another friend decided that we needed to stop in the coffee shop and get bananas for breakfast the next morning. So we went in, we got our bananas, and we're holding our bananas in our hands. And we're on the first floor of the hotel, and we knew exactly where we were going, where the elevators were. So we came around the corner, an elevator was open, we hopped in the elevator, and the doors closed. And as the doors closed, we realized that there we were, standing there with two bananas, two, we saw, it was the shortest I've ever felt, two little quilters in little pink shirts that said Quilt Odyssey. (laughs) Surrounded by huge people with black shirts, Lots of hair and more tattoos than we've ever seen in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So we looked up and said, well, guess you're not quilters, are you? And they said, no, ma'am, we're not. And, but my grandmother quilted. And the other guy says, my grandmother quilted too. And so we had this little conversation about grandmother's quilting and everything. And... And I looked at this one guy, and he had on a shirt that said Leonard Skinner on the front. And I said, wow, did you all get to the concert tonight? (laughs) And they said, why, yes, ma'am, we did. (laughs) We're the Leonard Skinner band. (laughs) And so, you know, we were real impressed. Um, I found out later that they were the ones who sang um, Will Freebird is their you know, real big song. Um, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, if anybody knows that. So, so the one big fella says to us, well, ma'am, what floor do you want to get off on? And we said, five. And they said, oh, we're on five, too. <laughs> so we got to the fifth floor, and the doors to the elevator opened. And my friend and I started walking down the hall. And, oh, by the way, they had told us they were in room 5821. (laughs) We were in 5803. So as we're walking down the hall, both of us were thinking the same thing. Safety first, safety first, safety first. You're in a hotel, you never tell anybody your room number in a hotel. So as we're walking down the hotel, my friend is thinking, let's go get ice, but I couldn't read her mind. I don't know what what came over me. I turned around, because we were, of course, being followed by a rock band, and I said, would y'all do us a favor? And they said, yes, we will. Ma'am, what would you like? And I said, well, our friend's room is up the hall. Would you come up and surprise them? (laughs) So it's like, don't take them to your own room. Take them to your friend's room. (laughs) So uh, we made sure everybody was decent, knocked on the door, walked in, made sure everybody was okay, and said, oh, we brought some friends to see you. (laughs) 
we walked into their room with the Leonard Skinner band. And yeah. And one, the one guy went up to my, uh, he was actually the lead singer. He went up to my friend who's a little younger than me and said, Hi, ma'am, my name is Johnny Van Sant. She goes, Yes. I know. <laughs> Mimi says this, but she's petite, and that vision of her being in the elevator with those huge rock and roll guys with their big hair and all that, oh my God. Leonard Skinner. Yeah. <laughs> my God. Well, um, okay, so that's our first rock and roll story. Uh, before we move on to our second one, we want to thank our uh, podcast sponsor, Mend Acupuncture, which has been named best place to get poked. And if we're talking about rock and roll, you know, listen, that's the thing that happens in rock and roll uh, in a different way. Maybe. Oh. Sorry. Okay. So it uh, offers enjoyable, low stress acupuncture sessions starting at 35 bucks a pop. Um, and they are located in Remington. Okay. So this next storyteller is Terry Sapp. He has been on the podcast before. He's been on the Stoop stage before, obviously, because he's on the podcast. He is, um, he's been a, let's see, a cleaning person. He um, is, um, for the purposes of this story, I'm not going to say what a second thing is. And then the third thing that he's been, which has been crucial during the pandemic, is one of the big wigs in FEMA uh, in the Baltimore County, and he actually coordinated all of the COVID testing at the Timonium Fairgrounds, which is called uh, lovingly the Cow Palace here in in uh, Baltimore. So that was what he um, he did while you know the rest of us were tucked in and um, figuring out how to get through quarantine. So, uh, but this gives you a preview into another aspect of Terry's life that has nothing to do with being a cleaning person or uh, a cow palace ambassador. Take a listen. Or does it? <laughs> or does it? There's an ancient expression, a paraphrase that says, happiness is not the destination, but the, the journey itself. And that's entirely true for me in the most literal sense. Because for me, my happy place can be anywhere in the United States because I am Armadillo, the official, unofficial, twisted sister road reporter and concert reviewer. <laughs> totally true. Since 2003, I have been on the road. I have reviewed concerts for Twisted Sister in two countries, 12 states. Uh, no, wait. Two countries, 12 or 15 states, 17 cities. You can tell. I don't know how many shows. It's that many. And what happens is when you start reviewing this many shows, the band actually started to notice me coming to these shows. Now, it may be that I'm in the same place at the same time, you know, wearing the same clothing every time. It might be that I'm the only heavy metal fan feverishly scribbing notes in a, in a notepad, you know, notepad, you know, while they're up, they're playing. But they started to notice this. And I don't know, I think they were a little afraid. They thought I was like a, a heavy metal stalker, you know. Uh, I, I don't know exactly, you know, the fanatic does start with fan. But they talked to me after one of these shows and they said, you know, we, we really need to know something. And it may be what some of you want to know, which is why? <laughs> Why us? Why Twisted Sister? 
Why do I go to such tremendous lengths, thousands of miles, to see this band? And this is what I told them. Uh, as a young child, I had a, uh, some very traumatic things happen to me. And as a result, I was not like the other kids. I was just very different. Well, as you can imagine, I was bullied. I was bullied very severely, both physically and emotionally. And by the time I hit age 14, I was suicidal as a result of the bullying. My salvation, my saving grace, was the music of Twisted Sister. Because Twisted Sister wasn't like all the other 80s heavy metal hair bands. They didn't look like anybody else. They didn't sound like anybody else. They didn't act like anybody else. And when all those other 80s heavy metal bands were singing about sex and drugs and party all night, Twisted Sister was singing about the glory of rock and roll. They were singing about self-expression, being yourself, being proud of who you were, and not taking any crap from anybody who put you down for what you looked like or what you believed in. And that, to me, that spoke to my soul. So I came into school, and I was the ultimate headbanger. I had the big hair out to here. Don't, don't go there. That, that horse left the barn a long time ago. But I did. I had the big heavy metal hair. I had the denim and the leather and the chains and the big black boots. And you've got to remember, this was the early 80s. Nobody looked like this. The preppy look was very big. And if you went to my high school, everybody looked like they stepped out of the yacht club. I think a few of them actually did. And in I walk looking at the heavy metal hair and the, and the whole nine yards. So the bullying got even worse. But the difference was the music of Twisted Sister gave me the self-confidence to believe in myself when no one else did. And it gave me the strength to stand up to my bullies and say, I'm not going to take it anymore. I am my me. I'm proud of who I am. I'm different. And that's okay. And I felt good about that. My parents, however... Not so much. <laughs> they weren't too thrilled with my musical selections and were definitely not happy with what I looked like. So when Twisted Sister finally toured my town, they put their foot down. They said, absolutely not. You're not going. So I wrote to the band. And the band wrote back. Uh, in fairness, it was the drummer, you know. <laughs> Okay, you know, the drummers don't get a lot of fan mail. They have a little more free time than some of the other band members. But the drummer wrote back. He said, hey, I'm sorry you don't have any friends. I'm sorry you can't come to the show. But I tell you what, I'm going to send you some backstage passes, some VIP tickets. Go out, bribe some people to be your friend for the night, and come to the show. So I did exactly that. I asked everybody I knew. I even asked people I did not know, 7-Eleven clerk, anybody who I thought might drive me to the concert, because I was only 15. And then I remembered my 10th grade homeroom school teacher had a teenage son. I asked him, jackpot. His son is a huge Twisted Sister fan. I talk him into being my chaperone, except he says to me, all right, I'll take you, but there's one thing. I want another adult there. So my mother was a huge Elvis fan when she was a teenager. And I remembered her saying that Elvis was very controversial for the time that he was, you know, her parents didn't approve of Elvis, so I worked that angle and I worked it. And finally, <laughs> the next thing I know, 
my mother, my 10th grade teacher, and a van full of teenage boys were off to the Twisted Sister show. <laughs> and for I, the kids in the audience, I'll just tell you, I got a chance to say something to my mother that every teenager has dreamed of saying, which was, you're not going with me looking like that, are you? <laughs> I mean, you got to remember, she was like a, a Jewish manicured mother. You didn't see too many of those at 80s heavy metal concerts. And she goes with me, a real trooper, those 90 minutes... There were no bullies. There were no worries in the world. It was 90 minutes of bliss. I look over. There is my mom. She's got her fist in the air. She's throwing the horns. We're rocking out. It was a great time. We go backstage. There's my mom talking to J.J. French, lead guitarist. And she says, Terry, Terry, come here. Terry, this is Mr. French. He's in the band. <laughs> like, I couldn't get more embarrassed. You know, I'm like, Mom, I, I know who that is. And he says, Kid, you got a cool mom. And I said, Hey, you know, I, you're right. I think I do. And that changed how I viewed my mom forever. Okay, my mom just got blessed by Twisted Sister. <laughs> but, you know, I thought, Boy, you know, that is a pretty cool thing for a mom to do. And then she says to me, well, you know, this was the first time that I was an outsider. Everybody was looking at me and staring at me and judging me for the way I looked, and I didn't like that. She says, I think I understand now what you feel when you go to school every day. And I think I understand how you feel when you go out there and everybody is staring at you. And she said, you know, that was the happiest I have ever seen you in your entire life, even when you were a little kid. So it changed the relationship I had with my parents from that point forward because they never again gave me a hard time about my hair or my appearance or the music that I had playing. Changed us forever as a family. And so when Twisted Sister broke up in 87, I was distraught and I had to wait 16 more years for them to get back together in 2003 for a reunion tour. So I made it my business that I would get to every single show that I could get to so could I could bring some of that joy, that 90 minutes of absolute bliss with Twisted Sister fans all over the world because they weren't able to get to the show that night. So if you ask me where my happy place is, it could be New York City, it could be Sayreville, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it could be Orlando or Tucson, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada, even Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you ask me next week, my happy place is going to be Oklahoma City on July 23rd, and it's going to be Wichita, Kansas on July 24th. But it's always one place, and that is front row at Twisted Sister. So this is the Armadillo, your official, unofficial Twisted Sister road reporter, trotting off. Aww. It's so cute. So, yeah, and I want to quibble with your idea that his work as the coordinator of COVID testing and vaccination doesn't have anything to do with his life as a roadie because he wanted to bring in roadies to That's make, right. make the process more efficient because roadies know how to get things done, right? Yep. It's like, they're like this with... 
implementation stage, of logistics. Stage yeah. managers of, you know, um, stage managers of rock and roll. And as we know from our own wonderful stage manager, Julianne Franz, stage managers are awesome. They do get things done. They, yeah. they don't say no, they say how, you know? I mean, it's like awesome. I, I think everyone should have a stage manager in their life. That is true. So, all right. Well, those are our three rock and roll stories. Um, Wait a second. We haven't done the third one. Oh my God. <laughs> and we would not want to leave this one out. So this um, final story of rock and roll is shared by Jeff Aline, who um, is among other things, a magician. And it's actually a really good musician. He performed mm -hmm. live at a show we did. We should do another Soup Magic and oh, Story yeah. show because that was so awesome. Um, and, but this story is from a, and he still plays music, but this story is from, um, well, an adventure he had in high school performing with his band. On the Multivox synthesizer keyboard, there is a controller about this big. And it controls the pitch of the instrument. And this allows the player to uh, change keys if they need to so that they don't actually have to relearn the song. Uh, they can just use the, uh, uh, the slider to actually change the keys. And this controller is at the center of one of the most humiliating events in my life. <laughs> 33 years ago. It was 1983. And like a lot of kids growing up, I had dreams of being a musician, uh, maybe even a rock star. And uh, I did like you do if you got a dream about being a, a musician. You form a band with your friends. And our band's name was Messages. <laughs> we even had T-shirts with the names on the back, said Messages, which was Pretty cool, except for a few smart-ass kids at school who kept asking for back rubs because they insisted the shirt said massages. <laughs> Just about the time we formed, uh, we heard about a competition at the JCC in Owings Mills uh, called Battle of the Bands. <laughs> so we went down, we signed up, and we had our first gig. We were very excited. We uh, created a set list. We started practicing the songs. We even had one of the band members' moms make us uniforms. Because <laughs> nothing says rock and roll like matching uniforms. <laughs> the other problem we had was we, we didn't really have any equipment. And the venue we were going to be playing was a big, cavernous, echoey uh, gymnasium. And so we, we started begging and borrowing and uh, cobbling together a, a decent sound system. On the day of the event, we showed up. We started unloading our equipment from, the, uh, from our station wagons and hatchbacks. And, and parked next to us was a big, shiny box truck. And it had the logo of one of the bands on the side. And I started to get a bad feeling about this. And so we, uh, we loaded our stuff in, we set up, and uh, it was during sound check that that feeling got a whole lot worse. Uh, they, they had all three bands uh, line up in a row on the gymnasium floor, and on our left was a band called Sa Win, and they were a heavy metal 
Judas Priest cover band. Uh, and they played loud and with passion and intensity. And on our right was a band called Prophecy. And they were an, a, a polished ensemble of musical prodigies. <laughs> they were awesome. And the equipment they had, the keyboard player had more keyboards surrounding him than we had band members. <laughs> their, their, uh, their sound check song was a song by uh, Kansas called Carry On Wayward Son, a very difficult song. And I just wanted to hand him the trophy then and call it a night because it was just so awesome. Our sound check was a muddled mix of speaker feedback and bad ground hum. That stomach, that, that feeling in my stomach got uh, so much worse when they opened the doors to the gymnasium and it in flooded hundreds of boisterous teenagers. They filled the, the makeshift stadium they'd created with the bleachers. Uh, everyone we knew was in those stands. The competition started, and to be honest, I don't remember what the other bands did because uh, I was busy trying to fix the sound system. Uh, my, I was so nervous and my hands were shaking so badly that it was difficult to even plug in the cables. I remember thinking to myself, what have we gotten ourselves into here? Uh, here we were with equipment we didn't know how to use, playing songs we didn't know how to play, in matching uniforms. <laughs> The uniforms, to give you an example, were a, a weird mix between a, a Nero jacket with 80s new wave MTV style. They were half black, half white, with a division cutting across the chest on the diagonal. We looked like pubescent penguins with instruments. It was not good. So the competition starts, and um, it's our turn. We get up, and our lead singer, Donna, she makes her way out to the center. And Donna had a really good voice. She was an excellent, excellent singer. But this was the first time she had ever sung in public, ever. <laughs> this was her world debut. She was a little nervous. She, like, stuck herself to that spot on the stage, hung on to the microphone for dear life, and off we went. We started going through our set list, and it was, uh, it was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. And we get to the point in our set list where we're going to slow things down, and we're going to play Faithfully by Journey. <laughs> and that's where the little slider comes in. Because our keyboard player, Jacinda was an excellent classical guitar, uh, uh, piano player. She had really, for her age, she had really good classical skills. But she had to have the sheet music. She could not deviate from the printed page. And faithfully, we had to transpose into another key for our singer. But the slider made it easy. In fact, we even put masking tape and two little marks. We play all the songs at this mark. When we get to faithfully, just move it to this mark and no problem except she forgot. I know. 
So Jacinda starts the piano intro in the wrong key. And the bass player, Chuck, he and I, we come in. And it sounds horrible. Wretched, even. It was like a fog of dissonance that just fills the gymnasium. It sounded like like a demonic calliope. (laughs) Booze started popping up out of the darkness. I I looked at Chuck. What was he doing wrong? Maybe I was I in the wrong fret. Was I playing wrong? And that's when Donna started to sing. (laughs) Except she can't find her note. Highway run into the midnight sun. The booze get louder and louder. I look over at Donna and she's so petrified at this point that she's developed a nosebleed. Blood is running down her face. I motion to her nose. She dabs her lip, sees that she's bleeding, jams two fingers in her nose, and keeps singing. Faithfully. The, the booze, the booze gets so loud that it overtakes our little sound system. We have to bail on the song. We, we quickly try and regroup. And that's when I get an idea. Our next song is Hey Bartender. It's a 1957 jumping blues tune by Floyd Dixon. And I remember the thought sequence that went through my frightened little monkey brain in that moment. It was, we got to win the crowd back. Drinking is cool. Kids like cool stuff. This is a drinking song. And that's what I was going to say. Hey, you're going to love this. Next song, it's a drinking tune. At least that's what I should have said. What I actually said was, hey, you're going to love this next song. It's a boogie-woogie blues song. I actually used the phrase boogie-woogie. Because nothing says rock and roll like the phrase boogie woogie. So we limped through that last song. We called it quits. We packed up our stuff. We went home. Uh, Obviously, we didn't win. But the worst part was the anticipation of what was going to happen Monday morning. The whole school was in the auditorium that day. We knew it was going to be bad, and it was even worse, because no one said a word. They knew. They knew it was such an unmitigated disaster that you couldn't even make fun of it. In a high school filled with vicious, hormonal, morally confused teenagers, not one could muster a single joke at our expense. Have you ever been pitied by an entire high school? I have. 
After that, the band broke up. (laughs) Donna never sang in public again. (laughs) Chuck never picked up the bass again. Jacinda decided to stick with classical music. Uh, Dave, the drummer, he and I, we actually formed another band. And we were actually foolish enough to enter another Battle of the Bands contest. (laughs) Oh, the name of that band? Voices from the Void. (laughs) But we made a promise to ourselves right then and there that we would never, ever play another Journey song again. story that's like a perfect example of heightening of comedic heightening of just each (laughs) each going wrong I love that story I love his pacing um Jeff Eline is just I yeah one of my favorite people uh just another fun fact I believe that he's a mortician by day or a funeral home. He used to, I think he used to be, I'm not sure if he's still doing that, ah, but yeah, okay. I know. I, when I remember when he shared this story, we had a lot of fun saying that he was a mortician and a magician. <laughs> um, I feel like there's potential situations where you could combine both of those talents. Um, oh, absolutely. But also some other times, more when you're performing as a magician, I could see that being useful, but maybe not the other way around. Anyway, um, before we get out of here, we want to thank the Wine Source and Golden West. Uh, wine Source is a wine, beer, and snack supplier, and Golden West is an omni restaurant with a vegan forward menu. They are both in Handen. Visit them, support them. Please visit us at stoopstorytelling.com to learn about our upcoming events, i.e. live shows. Or you can listen to stories from our archive, 15 years of stories. Please leave us a review. Jessica said only if it's positive. I say, you yeah. know, if it's civil. I'm okay with anything that's civil. Sure. Find us on Facebook. and it's civil anymore, <laughs> you know? Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. Thank you, Maureen Harvey, for producing and to y'all for listening. We will be back soon with more stories from the series.